Political Republic, I'm Mariella Attard. This is The Tea Room. Besides death and taxes, there's something else you can count on. And that's an asthma handbook update. You might wonder when the folks at the National Asthma Council sleep. Version 2.2 will be led by a fresh face, the new chair of the Australian Asthma Handbook Guidelines Committee, GP, Professor Nick Zawar. So the National Asthma Council guidelines, as people would know, have been a very authoritative source for advice about asthma diagnosis and care, and I think a very useful resource for GPs and other primary healthcare professionals for a long time. So I certainly use them myself clinically and had a long-term interest in respiratory illnesses. And Amanda Barnard, Professor Amanda Barnard from ANU, had chaired the group for quite a number of years and done an excellent job in that role and I think wanted to hand over the the responsibility. The idea of the handbook as an online resource is for key information to be no more than a couple of clicks away in the consultation, and then to provide background layers of information as you need them. And compartmentalise so that you could look at, you know, asthma management in adults, asthma management in kids, you know, inhaler technique, um, vaccinations, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, topic. Because most people look by topic when they're looking at a resource and they're looking, they have an idea in mind, I want the answer to this question and I want it now. You know? so, so they want they want to find what they are after fairly uh, immediately, which is quite hard to do, to design the, the website in a way, the resource in a way to make that intuitive. So what's new in version 2.2? Some things have changed, I think, and, and, and particularly I think it's the use of reliever medicines and the use of the combination ICS with beta agonist for both reliever and preventer because that has been a pretty big change in asthma management. And because you have uh, that combination available and you also have the ICS-SABA combination, you know, uh, that we've always had, and both are used, it means that there needs to be some updates around how to kind of um, manage that, those two things happening in the, in the asthma community who are out there in practice. Professor Zwar says the handbook has things to say about asthma management in an acute setting too. Sometimes people are admitted to hospital with a flare-up and treated with a short-acting beta agonist, like salbutamol. When they go home, they're not going back to their normal regime. And, you know, as you would know, there is concern about short-acting beta agonists and their safety, particularly if they're used more than they need to be or without preventer in combination. It's not sort of major changes, but there's issues there that need to be clarified to help people to navigate what's a moderately complicated kind of situation at times, and particularly the post-hospital thing. And we've been working on some hospital discharge templates, which we will try to make um, available fairly soon, I hope, so that hospital doctors might get some support in advising patients about that stepping down. So what to do when you go home, when to see your doctor for an immediate follow-up and then a longer-term follow-up, see your GP, and the coming off. You know, if you need oral prednisone, here it is. If you've had a paediatric and you've had a dose of dexamethasone, because the hospitals sometimes use oral dexamethasone. Are there any follow-up doses of that? Usually not, but you need to be clear on that. And again, when do you, when do you get back to your normal regime? Professor Zwar says the committee keeps its ear to the ground to work out what updates need to be made to the handbook. 
it's feedback from the group, feedback from what we're hearing from GPs more broadly, the broader asthma community about the sorts of issues that people are presenting with. I mean, the uh, National Asthma Council has various reference groups, you know, uh, including input from consumers and uh, specialists on the group, of course, are seeing and hearing through their networks the sorts of problems that are turning up in hospital or are getting referred to respiratory physicians and what seems to be kind of causing some either confusion or uncertainty in the primary care community about well, what to do in this situation or that situation. The information that gets back to the committee comes from a wide range of people too, including practice nurses and pharmacists. You know, a pharmacist might see a different kind of problem. People coming into pharmacy after a uh, hospital saying, oh, I want some more salbutamol, please. And, and then thinking, was that really what you want? Is that really what you need? Is that what's been advised? You know, those kinds of yeah. Not everything in the update is about new information. Some existing guidelines aren't making their way into everyday practice for one reason or another. If you look at the data on use of ICS, for example, use of reliever medicines, there's lots of evidence from PBS data and from other drug utilisation data that quite a lot of people don't get it in a way that's consistent with regular use. And also there's evidence from the Asthma Monitoring Centre at Woolcock in Sydney and other places that there's quite a lot of people with not well-controlled asthma who very likely could get better control if they were to use their relievers on a more regular basis. That's not new. That's been around for quite a while, but that, that continues to be an issue. There's no doubt about that. If you think that someone needs preventive treatment, the options continue to be in, in a combination of an ICS with a, a short-acting bitter agonist or the MART-type type, um, approach. Now, which one people choose and which one will be easier is an ongoing sort of discussion, easier and more effective than ongoing discussion, and more evidence is needed on that, I think. With version 3 coming out around the end of this year, Professor Swar gives Tea Room listeners a bit of a sneak preview. Well, there's some topic areas that we want to have a look at, um, and that includes uh, exercise-induced asthma. Um, We want to review what we say about that. I think severe asthma clearly is a major topic. You know, there's a whole lot of new therapies for severe asthma or difficult control asthma, and that landscape has been changing rapidly uh, with new medicines and new approaches. I think that's a that's a complex one for primary care doctors, uh, primary care health professionals to navigate what are the best approaches to the more difficult to control patient. And there are new therapies, which are a whole lot of studies are being published around, and we need to consider where they fit in to the escalating kind of treatment regime and when, you, when would you add in those and and, and, and why. We've had add-on therapies like teotropium for a while, but there's a variety of alternatives to that as an add-on for the higher up the ziggurat, that thing we've got in our guideline. Where do they come in and for who? Of course, no discussion about anything is complete without mentioning the C word. There are many research papers about the intersection of COVID and asthma. So do we have any definitive advice on that? Well, I think the clearest thing to us was that if you if you have asthma and you got COVID, that your asthma could be aggravated. 
and that you wanted to make sure you had good control of your asthma in case you got the, you know that that infection and that infection is now of course very common and lots of people have had it so that was the main message that we wanted to put forward because i think that's where the clearest evidence is my view would be that we need to keep watching that space but that it doesn't appear that people with with asthma necessarily get more severe, very much more severe disease, fortunately. But there, as I said, there is evidence that if you have asthma and you get COVID, that your asthma can flare up. And we don't want that to be a flare up that's, you know, cause you need to go to hospital or get severely unwell. And what about that nasty cough that hangs around after COVID? Quite a lot of people with COVID get a persistent cough after COVID and I mean, I'm certainly hearing that and you know, seeing patients myself in practice. Now I'm only quite part-time, but, you know, you hear that from many patients who've had COVID, you know, that they get a persistent cough, um, sort of sense of heaviness in the chest, sometimes a little bit productive. Do you think there's confusion? I mean, we've been hearing, for example, people say, you know, they had childhood asthma and haven't had anything for a long time and then they get COVID and it seems to have come well, back. Well, I'm not saying that's impossible, but I think most of the people that get COVID and get the persistent cough, it's not, that's not an asthma cough. In most, It's not asthma. Now, I'm not saying there aren't some where there isn't a flare-up of asthma and that might need to be treated, but the, the, the problem, of course, that many GPs are facing is getting those patients in and seeing them has been a challenge. Unless you work in a respiratory clinic, it's a bit of a challenge to actually get to see those patients face-to-face and listen to their chest and, you know, do an assessment. Are they wheezy? And it's very difficult, of course, to get lung function tests done in the, still in the current context. So it, it is a challenge, but I think that we shouldn't assume that that cough that many, many people are getting uh, as they recover from COVID and go on for a while is an asthma cough. I think in most instances it's not. If you have something to say about the handbook and future updates, Professor Zwar says your feedback really is wanted. Well, I guess, you know, we're always interested in feedback on the resource. Uh, and if people want to give feedback, good, bad, you know, whatever they think or, or suggestions, they're very welcome uh, because, you know, we, we want it to be useful. We want it to be known about and kept current. And I certainly encourage people to you know, put it into the resources they have on their desktop so it's there, you know, have the link there so that they can find it easily when they're, you know, in a consultation or between patients or thinking about, you know, because I think if you're not, if you set up well with resources and you've thought about which ones do you frequently use and they're easy to find, you know, that makes a difference. I guess, you know, we've tried to make it as user-friendly as possible from the website. And so I hope people will, will um, you know, get it set up, make use of it, and please give us feedback um, on, on what you think. Yeah. That was Professor Nick Swire, and he really meant it about the feedback because he's provided our listeners with an email address to send it to. That's nac at nationalasthma.org.au, and you can find that link on our website as well. You've been listening to The Tea Room. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can search for us on your favourite podcast player and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. And if you have any news tips or want to chat, you can email us at wendy at
medicalrepublic.com.au.